Hey everyone, Pastor John here, and this is a review podcast where we revisit some of the older sermon clips and podcast episodes just as a way of review and finding new relevance for them uh, in today's life. And I hope you'll find this helpful. For this podcast, I wanted to uh, follow up on some resources I've been sharing with you about Halloween, how Christians should engage uh, with that day, how we should see it and approach it uh, faithfully and wisely. And the first thing I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about is just the origin of Halloween and uh, to what extent that matters. Um, Most historians trace Halloween back to the ancient Celtic festival uh, that uh, Pope Gregory III sort of designated. I mean, November 1st was the day that he designated as All Saints Day. And so the night before, October 31st, became All Saints Eve. And people would gather around bonfires, wear costumes as a way of superstitiously, you know, warding off ghosts. And some would even treat that day as a day of communing with the dead um, in a very paganistic type of way. So all in all, um, the the origin of this was very pagan and not at all biblical. Now, this didn't reach us here in the States until the mass Irish-Scottish immigration uh, during the 19th century. And this started to become practiced in our nation and around the already around the mid-1800s or so, people started to dress up in costumes and go house to house. Not so much for candies at that time, it was more for food and for money. Um, but that practice eventually became what we call trick-or-treat today. And by then, it's lost most of its original meaning that it had in the Celtic festivals. Now, the point I want to make here, though, is not uh, that we should know what the precise origin is. There's actually some other historical debates about you know what might even go further back uh, than the Celtic tradition. Um, I think the, the bigger point here is that the origin doesn't matter ultimately. I think it's it's good to know what the origins are, but it doesn't matter ultimately. What matters ultimately is whether we can redeem it and transform it. It's about what we do with it now. And let me give you one historical example of how we've done this and then a couple of biblical passages to maybe uh, make the case for it and kind of address some relevant issues surrounding this. So to this day, I've actually not personally met any Christian who wouldn't celebrate Christmas in any shape or form, whether it's you know, writing a Christmas card or attending a Christmas Eve service, giving someone a gift, or just having a Christmas tree at home, or just saying good old Merry Christmas to a stranger. Um, but interestingly, many Christians are not aware of the origin of Christmas and that it wasn't originally a Christian holiday celebrating the birth of Christ, the Son of God, not at all. Uh, it was actually a pagan holiday established by Rome. Uh, It was winter solstice. Um, Days were getting darker and darker towards the end of the year. But right around December 25th, the sun, and that's S-U-N, sun, sort of makes this great comeback. And the the days are starting to get longer and longer again. And the Romans, they turn that into a pagan celebration of the sun, the star, and that this is the unquenchable a light that will never go out, as if to symbolize Rome will be forever. That was the origin of Christmas. It was very pagan and quite idolatrous. 
Um, but see, the church came along and said, hey, let's tie this to Jesus. Uh, where Malachi prophesied about the Messiah saying, uh, the son of righteousness, and that's S-U-N as well, the son of righteousness will rise and, he- and come with healing in his, in his wings. So they said, let's make this about Jesus, not about the son in, in, in the heavens, but Jesus, the son of God. So St. Augustine actually wrote on this uh, about Christians celebrating Christmas, saying, quote, hence it is that he was born on the day which is the shortest in our earthly reckoning and from which subsequent days began to increase in length. So he's directly tying the birth of Christ and the hope that he brings, the light he brings into the world with winter solstice. And then he goes on to say, quote, He therefore who bent low and lifted us up chose the shortest day, yet the one whence light begins to increase. So this is why we celebrate Christmas as a church today, and it's really largely become a Christian celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at this point. Uh, Virtually no one ties Christmas anymore to the Roman pagan tradition because we have redeemed it and we have transformed it. And we do all sorts of things like this with with our freedom of conscience, where we focus not so much on something's origin, but on its present purpose and meaning. I mean, you know, I I, I wasn't always an American citizen, and, and much of my life I was a Korean citizen. And the Korean flag itself... Uh, I learned later on, it was very much rooted in Taoism, the philosophy of umyang, yin and yang, this dualistic existence of good and evil uh, that will always be in constant conflict uh, for all eternity. And that's, that's the universe, which is very unbiblical. But that didn't stop me or millions and millions of other Korean Christians from waving the Korean flag, uh, wearing it on t-shirts, um, or singing the national anthem. When clearly the, the Hananim in, in, the, in the anthem is not the same triune God that we profess in the Christian faith. But see, when Christians sing the national anthem and when I sing the Korean national anthem, I always refer, or I should say maybe redeem that title to mean the triune God. So we do this with even our national flag and anthem as well. Now, along with that, um, I think it's important for us to also consider other biblical passages that give people the freedom to not exercise or not participate in any way um, in celebrating Halloween. Uh, In in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse 7, it says, Some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So these are converts to Christianity who used to attend the temple, where they worshipped idols and they ate the food that were offered to idols there. Um, and it's fine that they find that to be uh, a, bother, a, a, a thing that weighs on their conscience. But Paul also says in verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Okay? So he, he does give you the freedom to say, you know, you can really eat it or not eat it. You're no better you know, eating it, no better refraining from it. Why? Because it's really not about the food. Um, um, it's, it's really what Jesus said in Mark 7. It's, it's not what we eat that makes us unclean, right? Or anything that goes inside us that makes us unclean. But it's what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. And so in, in Mark 7, it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. In another way, Jesus fulfills the law under the new covenant. And 
the, the shadowy figures of the Old Covenant, the, the dietary laws pass away in the coming of Christ. So that means um, you do have to have that basic understanding, even as you go about just practicing what is um, true according to your conscience, meaning those who are weighed down by this should not eat, but they should not judge those who do. And verse 10 says, If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? In other words, you know, be mindful of your brothers and sisters who might stumble and be wounded in their conscience because of your actions. Don't disregard them and just live as if uh, your actions have no consequences in your, in your covenant community, uh, but practice com- compassion. But whatever we do, we should talk about it with our children and, and teach our children to exercise both compassion and commission. So teaching them you know, why we don't practice this, but why we don't judge those who do. And finding other ways to be missional. So going back to pas- the passage in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, it's not a good idea to be seen eating in an idol's temple. Now, that's very interesting. Paul doesn't say, don't eat in an idol's temple, but he says, don't be seen that you might cause them to stumble. And the, the natural question is, you know, why would any Christian want to be found in an idol's temple eating with idol worshipers? And the only reasonable answer to that is in order to evangelize them, to befriend them, so you can share the gospel with them. <laughs>